0: This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballerman, bridging the worlds of suits and t-shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now.
1: Hi, this is Mike Ballerman, and this is the London FinTech Podcast, episode 191, brought to you in association with SMART enlistedboard.com and I'm delighted to be joined today by Ravi Jakodia, CEO and co-founder of Coupé, to talk about how fintech can serve micro-businesses. In this context, those firms with less than five staff or 150,000 turnover. In LFP 179, we heard from Jay Bregman, in New York, who joined us to discuss how tech innovations in ensuring the sole trader or small business can help the micro business get insurance cover they wouldn't easily be able to obtain otherwise and hence compete for business which otherwise they could not, which can only be a good thing. Serving the sole trader or micro company is especially important right now as economies and indeed societies continue to attempt to build themselves back, hopefully more human rather than better, from the ground up after widespread government actions in 2019, which massively favored Megaco at the expense of the little guy and small businesses. Coupé offer a simple way for customers to pay micro SMEs faster and easier, and also supply surround to that basic offering to keep the micro SMEs admin running smoothly. As such, Ravi has spent quite some time considering the needs of this segment and the issues they have. Plenty to talk about, so let's get on with the show. Good morning, Ravi. Thank you for joining me on the show today.
0: Good morning, My Pleasure to be here. Thanks for
1: having me. Now, as we were saying, we're going to talk about how you serve small businesses and all that kind of stuff, which is which is very nice and it's very good of you to, to join in the effort of helping small businesses. And clearly, you're a smart person in being able to do this. But from my perspective, you do have sort of, sort of one strange characteristic, which is very frequent with people I talk to on this show, which is that, you obviously have a streak of insanity because you used to be somewhere with much better weather and then you, you came here where uh, the weather is pretty rubbish in general. The, I'm reminded of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy back in the day in the, in the 70s where they were talking about there were lots of people going from point A to point C and a lot of people going from point C to point A, and people at point B in the middle wondered what was so good about point C that people from point A wanted to go to point C, but what was so good about point A that people from point C wanted to go to point A. We'll come back to that, but in terms of interesting places and and, and linking into my intro about the crazy-slash-catastrophic last 18 months of um, many government actions, you did your MBA, I believe, in a part of the world which is absolutely poster child for the data-driven folks around trying to work out what's going on at the moment, namely Uttar Pradesh, the very popular state in North India, which has a population something like, I think, two-thirds of the American population, so hell of a large, the largest state. And apart from the weather, which you can tell me about, which actually, being so far north, probably does vary a bit over there, but it has this amazing thing, which is, in a rational world, which we clearly don't live in, in a rational world, this will be shouted from every rooftops on every TV program, which is Uttar Pradesh has basically virtually eliminated COVID by early treatment and things like ivermectin and all this kind of stuff, which the so-called Western media is busy sort of uh, not covering at all, although I think countries like you are doing. So yes, so Uttar Pradesh is clearly a brilliant place that uh, actually looks after its people. So uh, we'll come on to in a minute why you left there to to come to London and the comparative weathers. But uh, yes, I would first like to congratulate you on behalf of uh, having been in uh, Lucknow, which is the capital of Pradesh, uh, which has done such a brilliant job and clearly the government thinks there it's, it's there to serve the people rather than serve Big Pharma. That was a long intro, actually. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I can't take any credit for what the government is doing. Oh, no, no, take credit, take (laughs) credit, take (laughs) credit in in Lucknow. But I think uh, here's another interesting fact for you. The one other thing Lucknow is really famous for are the kebabs. And apparently, uh, the kebabs melt in the mouth. Unfortunately, I never had the pleasure to taste it because I'm a vegetarian. So that's one of my regrets in life. But there you go, another good thing.
1: I think the reason I came here was... uh, so. What was the weather like? More important topics, first, As I'm I'm British, I always talk about the weather. And there's nothing else more interesting.
0: You would be shocked and appalled, Mike, because when I came to London, I was like, what's the fancy about sun? Why do you want to go out in the sun? It's horrible. <laughs> because because in, Uttar, in Lucknow, you get temperatures like close to 50 degrees and essentially you'll get burned in the sun. So we would always run away from sun. And coming to London, I was like, this is people are going mad here.
1: What are the low temperatures? Lowest in winter?
0: So lowest, it, does, it gets cold as well. So I think lowest would be about 5 degrees, 4 or 5
1: degrees at night. That's a hell of a range then, some 50 degrees over the year.
0: Yeah, so you need to
1: spend on both air cons and heating. Uh, unfortunately, right. <laughs> interesting and i've lost track of sort of you know things like sort of monsoons from various directions but that far north do you still get sort of monsooned quite a lot
0: you get it in every part of india you can't escape <laughs> it and it's beautiful it just it's just nature you you get woken up by nature really in those in that one month you just see the power of nature Uh, I I love
1: mountains. Yes, so people have come from places like you, or actually Singapore's and Malaysia, uh, where I've spent more time, they certainly do say that one of the things they enjoy about this climate is that it's actually quite moderate. (laughs) Um, But vice versa, I mean, human beings, going back to people from A liking C and C liking A, human beings, of course, completely perverse creatures. Yes, so you didn't want to take credit for the performance of the government. I mean, you say it's famous, it's also famous over here, but for a a siege back in the day uh, of Lucknow, which lasted for 18 months. That's another story. Anyway, you were MBAing in Lucknow. So what made you come here, other than maybe it was the weather after all?
0: Well, perhaps it was the weather, but I would be lying. Uh, I think for, for for me and my my wife, both from the same culture in India, and India has, uh, has, has different cultures. So we we always saw life from a certain cultural perspective, and we had the strong urge to just go to a very, very different culture where we could see the world from a completely different
1: perspective. And what cultural perspective is that then? So, so it's just, I think the point was just a different
0: perspective. So I I was born and brought up in Kolkata, but still, you know, part of the same community and culture and and then moved around India a little bit. But then uh, we wanted to move to a a, a Western culture just to see uh, how the worldview is from the Western perspective. And we identified, it was very funny, we identified some English-speaking cities that we could go to. So at at least we can understand people's language. And obviously, London was top of the list alongside New York, I think, back in the day. But I'm glad that we landed up in London because I think this is far more beautiful than New York any day, despite the grey weather that you moan about.
1: <laughs> well, I think you'll find that the British just moan non-stop anyway, actually. And actually, it's even gone beyond moaning now because we're, we're like a sort of a senile old parent whose sort of uh, a bad child has taken over. So we've got this sort of American wokest desire to sort of beat ourselves up and say how we were completely terrible. I mean, that. The, the recent high watermark on that I saw recently was that the Iron Bridge Trust, the museum of where the Industrial Revolution started, has now got captions over its things saying, Oh, the British are terrible because we invented the Industrial Revolution and that destroyed the world. And oh my God, you know. <laughs> I'm talking about not wanting to take credit for your government's thing. We, we, any opportunity that modern wokist institutions have to beat up our ancestors who worked very hard, like everyone's ancestors around the world centuries ago, to try and get a slightly better world for their children, and they're now getting beaten for it. So that's crazy so in terms of coming to London what made you then want to start up a fintech and what made you in particular choose this micro SME uh, segment so maybe, maybe you'll tell us about a little bit about your career journey from MBA onwards
0: I think I've had a very diverse I've had diverse experiences so started my my life with uh, consumer goods I did marketing innovation for most of my career that was really exciting launched brands in, in Europe Africa worked in global roles But I saw how technology was changing our lives the way I could not. And I got fascinated by it. I didn't want to be a user of that change. So 2014, I decided to quit my corporate career, did my first startup in India, did that for about five years. And that was in connected vehicles. So there you go, completely different uh, sector. Had a painful first year of learning curve, but I think we did, did well. Uh, we launched the first connected car in India with Honda. And the
1: connected car is?
0: A connected car is, uh, back in the day, it was a basic form of uh, basically connecting your car with your mobile and ensuring that as an owner and a, and a driver, you kind of are top or, uh, on top of your car and a lot of chauffeur driven cars in India as well. So that was another big use case, but also for the car manufacturer to understand how their vehicles are performing and the service center. So it's all connected ecosystem around the car. And I got a ex- successful exit from there. And, and then we re- we moved to London. I think the reason I started a uh, small business is quite interesting. I come from a family where pretty much everybody has a business, uh, mostly micro and small. When I was 19 years old, my dad would send me to collect late payments from his customers. And I had to go in person in, in Calcutta because those days there was no email or internet. Uh, it was a very interesting experience, as you say it in uh, here in in UK, and uh, I think life has come full circle for me in that respect because now I'm helping small and more importantly micro businesses get paid faster and better.
1: Ah, interesting. I like the story and the journey you've taken to get here. So that leads quite nicely into our main course in terms of how in the sector. Uh, that you're in more broadly how you and uh, many other firms are trying to help the little guy, which, of course, uh, I love, uh, as it seems that the whole system is increasingly tilted towards the the global oligarchs and the the mega companies, and uh, small business is never easy to do. So you talked about Calcutta. I mean, over here, probably when you were going around collecting debts, how micro businesses uh, of less than five people would have got paid is probably very often in cash. Or they would sort of, you know, decades ago sent, sent an invoice in the post and got a cheque back and, uh, and, and cash the cheque in pre-internety days. And then this thing called the internet, it kind of came, came along in the 90s and, you know, I think PayPal was the first. Right. And so maybe you can take the story forwards from the sort of the internet arrives and then how that has slowly been transforming payments in general and then in, in specifically the, the micro SMEs.
0: So, yeah, I think that's very interesting. Now, if you look at uh, payments for consumers and how we interact with most of our day-to-day purchases, I think that's the convenience of that has rocketed even since the day of PayPal. So if you look at contactless cards, it's just brilliant. And with now Google Pay, Apple Pay, it's up insanely easy. But if you look, if you, if you then look at how payments are happening in the micro business segment, Uh, you see that it it just doesn't seem like they're both existing at the same time because a lot of micro-businesses are still relying on manual bank transfers, even worse, cash. And a few of them are using uh, PayPal and Stripe, but I think a lot of them find the fees to be insanely uh, expensive uh, and also complicated. Uh, So it's not, these these systems are not designed for the needs of a simple micro-business, having simple, uh, you know, uh, operations. So so I think that's the big problem that we are trying to solve. One is to bring the experience of paying or taking payments in, in a micro business context, similar to how we feel as a consumer. And second, offer it in a way that makes sense for their business in terms of ease and economics. Mind you, micro businesses, owners are also consumers. So the so that, that, that stark contrast is probably apparent in their heads as well.
1: Yes, and so, you know, I know a, a good wine merchant around here. He's got his own wine shop. He's now um, expanding uh, into a, a wine bar next door. And, of course, again, a business of, of one person, although he has people helping him. The challenges in payments, it can t- it's not just the, the cost. It can take up a disproportionate amount of time. You know, you've got to buy lots of wine, you've got to sell the wine, he sells some online and all this kind of stuff. And so the administration required to keep, I don't know how many bottles he sells a month, flowing in and flowing out. It's a huge overload and burden if you're a sole trader, or as you say, you're one or two traders, because when you're that scale, You can't afford like a bigger company. Let's say Coupé, you know, a couple of years time is 100 people. Well, you can certainly afford one person to keep track of all the paperwork and invoicing. But when you're a little guy, it's so important to be doing the bloody business and and, and minimizing the administration time.
0: And I think you touched upon something which is a fabulous insight, which that these micro businesses don't sell on one platform. Generally, they sell on multiple platforms. Uh, So what I call is they do e-commerce, but they do quasi e-commerce, which is when they're kind of Interacting with consumers online or over phone and then maybe dispatching them goods or they're collecting. So, and they might be doing some uh, you know, uh, over-the-counter. Over the so uh, so, so they, have diff- they, they sell in different ways and that makes their life even more complicated. And, and I think with open banking payments, few firms like Coupé are trying to now offer a solution that can help them work through most of these formats and platforms where they sell. And as you said, take payments uh, not just cheaper, but better. Uh, so give them a better experience. So it saves them time. It saves them from reconciliation. It saves them from the disruptions of a chargeback and things like that. And just make it a very simple and easy operation for them.
1: Yes. So in terms of chargebacks and credit cards and contactlesses uh, and all this kind of thing, I don't know the data myself, but I always get the impression that if I go to a small business, I mean, we go to another delicatessen. It's a, it's an Italian delicatessen nearby as well. We try and use sm- small businesses when we can. You know, I just tap my cards and I don't think about it. But I certainly have heard in the past that small businesses, micro businesses have to pay Sometimes crazy amounts of money to, I don't know, credit card company or contactless for all I know or merchant receivers or all these complicated terms I can never quite remember for the pleasure of someone just sort of tapping something.
0: So uh, you're absolutely right. I think micro businesses get the raw end of the deal when it comes to payment service costs. If they're using a digital payment solution, they would end up paying anywhere from north of 1% to up to 3% of their sales. And and that's a lot of uh, cost. And the complications which come with it. Versus, in contrast, when you come to look at open banking payments, it would cost them a tenth of that, if not a thirtieth of that, depending on uh, the value of the transaction. So some people charge a flat 20p, like us. Others charge point, uh, not point one percent, which is, uh, as I said, a tenth or a thirtieth of what they would usually pay. So it's a huge cost savings. And I think the great thing is technology allows us to do it. And then the other beauty is that it's absolutely secure, because what open banking does is it moves money from their customer's bank account to their bank account. So there's no middleman. And therefore, it just makes the whole operation a lot ch- cheaper and, and more secure.
1: Yes. And in the past, the episode escapes me. But we did an episode some time back on Open banking and how actually open banking is more useful for SMEs as a whole sector, you know, up to the top of the SME range, than it is for the consumer. Because, especially in the UK, you and I don't pay for bank account as long as it's in credit as an individual. Whereas SMEs have got far more payments to handle, and as you say, they're charged more. But when we were talking earlier, you were saying that one challenge is that quite often solutions are taken for, shall we say, the whole SME market, which may well work well for the average SME plus or minus two standard deviations, shall we say, in terms of scale. But the tail of that, and certainly the small end, don't work so well for the micro-business. So in that regard, how would you see the difference between the solutions aimed at, quotes SMEs in general and the kind of solutions that are necessary for the micro-business?
0: I think that's that's the reason why... This is such an exciting space to be in right now. Uh, And that's why companies like Coupé are spearheading this change. If you look at in the past, uh, most digital solutions were designed for the medium businesses. And and then they were pushed down to the small businesses. Now, these solutions and, and the needs of medium and small businesses are very, very different from a single person micro business. Now, what has changed, I think, and more so with COVID, is you have a huge number of micro-businesses, people starting their side hustles, people getting into freelancing or selling services or goods which are based on their passion. And this has created, I mean, their statistics which say one in five of us now have a side hustle. Uh, so the quantum of micro businesses have increased uh, and it's a huge white space because the solutions are not designed for them. And with Coupé and similar companies, I think what, what we're trying to do is keeping them front and centre, designing solutions which are simple, which meets their need, but are comprehensively meeting their needs.
1: Yes, and your stat is an interesting one. I hadn't heard that one about the percentage of people, or the sort of the younger folks, with side projects. But thinking about it, between Bridget and myself, of our four combined children, half of them have or have had, they're all in their 20s, have or have had uh, side businesses. Um, and, of course, one of the things that they discover, amongst other things, is the challenge of simple, clear, cheap payments, because otherwise, oops, there goes a lot of my margin. So moving on beyond that, the other aspect maybe you'd like to speak a little bit more about, Ravi, is the added value beyond payments. So just taking your, your example, you can tell us a little bit more about Coupé in a minute, but in the context of Coupé, uh, you're not just making payments quotes cheaper. You're also pro- providing surround around that. And that's the theme that we've seen over the last couple of years in fintech as a whole when fintech started fintechs would do one thing but now and it would be within fs But now, rather like Lego blocks, newer fintechs are finding they have to combine different Lego blocks because they can actually build a house and the house is much better than just selling red bricks for the sake of argument.
0: I think so. I mean, my view is if you look at micro businesses, you've got to take a horizontal view rather than a vertical view from a product point of view. Now, what I do is I'm not from the payments domain historically, so I don't have any affinity to payments as such. What I do is I say, okay, what would my dad like to have? And that's the question I keep asking myself. And for us in Coupé, we believe two things matter most to micro-businesses. Making the sale happen fast and getting the cash once it's sold. Uh, Everything, they can pretty much take care of themselves. But if these two things they can get help with, it makes their life easier to run the business. And that's what we are setting out to do. And that would mean that it's not just payments, but it's the whole horizontal woven around payments, which helps them move from sales to cash faster.
1: So let's look into that around. So, I mean, obviously there are things like invoices and, and documentations and, and these kind of things. So, well, let's just talk about what Coupé offers. So, so what are you guys offering now and what are you looking at offering in the future? So that it's not just the question that Coupé does payments cheaper, faster, easier. We do that. And that's the core of our offering. But around that, we have A, B and C. What are this kind of A, B and Cs?
0: So one is a request to pay. And this is, you know, easier ways of sending a payment. So through WhatsApp, through text, through email. So depending on your relationship with your client, as a micro business, you can choose whichever medium you want to do that. Other is invoicing, as you said. So once the sale is done, raise an invoice. And it's a smart invoice. So it carries a QR code and a pay button on the invoice itself. So no matter how it's delivered to the customer, even in a printed format, which hopefully nobody does now, but the customer can pay in four clicks. And that's our promise to the micro business. And we've seen it works because 70 to 80% of the payments made through Coupé are made within 24 hours of sending the request. That just goes to prove that the easier we make it for the customers, the chances of the businesses get paid faster. But going forward, as you said, it's about then thinking of how, we, what's great about it is we, we have and influence on how the how the business is interacting with the platform but also how their customers and clients are interacting when they're making the payment so then thinking about in this journey what all can we weave which makes helps the business either sell better or get paid faster so invoice financing for example would be another obvious one so when you have all these invoices created on a platform at the click of the button can you get cash faster if you really need it, and tied over the short-term cash imbalance that you may have in your business, which happens all the time. Uh, Similarly, on the customer end, could you offer a buy now, pay later? Now, what's interesting is all these features are not absolutely new on the surface of this planet, but they've never been woven together and offered in a seamless, simple manner to micro business. And I think that's what Coupé is on a mission to do.
1: Yes, and I like your... uh metaphor of, of weaving together. Mine was Lego blocks, but it's the same thing, which is if you bring things together, you produce something which is different from any of the um, individual things that you started with. And I do like your slogan, which you mentioned there, uh, get paid in four clicks. Many micro-SMEs will deal with other micro-SMEs. And there, take well, Wine Munchment as an example, it's just that actually they're so busy that it, it takes time and, you know, oh, I must get around to doing this and in the same way that, oh, I must get around to doing my tax form sometime. Oh, I'll do that tomorrow kind of thing because actually I've got sort of more commercially things to do today. And of course, it's the whole thing about the digital journey, which is that the more frictionless, the simpler you can make a process, the more likely someone is to do it. So for some time, I think I've found. a, fallen away from it at the moment, but sometime some time I used to have a, a rule that all my emails were three sentences. And when I stuck to that rule for many years, I found that I got very fast replies. Another rule I had, which is I will tend to do an email thread per topic, I got very fast replies. Because surprise, surprise, as we've all found, if I send you an email in two weeks' time on six topics and it's half a side of A4, <laughs> it's not that you don't have fond memories of, of, of Mike, it's that, oh yeah, I must read that sometime you know, so it gets put off. Whereas if I send you a, a one-liner asking for something, you sort of reply, say yes or yes or no. So I think the making things easier, well, it applies in so many domains. And, and you know, there's a completely different domain of, of email as an example. There are ways that we can use email to actually get faster replies as well as things like payments. Right, okay, so that's all very clear. So before we wrap up the show, I'd like to thank all you listeners out there and my brand partners of the podcast, SMART is transforming pensions and retirement worldwide. Their leading-edge retirement tech platform propelled them to success in the UK. Now they're operating on four continents and working with partners like Zurich and JP Morgan. Find out more at www.smart.co or indeed in last time's LFP uh, with Jordan Ledford about uh, a history of US pensions over the last 100 years and the current challenges, which I found very fascinating. Theunlistedboard.com, your guide to entrepreneurial governance and how you can start making your board an engine of growth today. So, Ravi, you've given us a a clear idea of the landscape here. Um, You've been sort of uh, an ultra-good guest in that most guests mug the the main topic to uh, wave their flags. So you need to do more flag-waving now. And in general, the LFP tends to focus on the largest, um, biggest, most successful fintechs so that the experience that they've had in in how to succeed in this Darwinian world of uh, evolution can be passed down. But you guys are a bit younger, I think being formed a couple of years ago, and I do like every now and then to have the odd relatively new fintech as it just in the way of life. As you get older and older, you get sort of more locked into a whole whole bunch of things and it gets harder to think completely fresh and, uh, and all that. But maybe you can tell us a little bit about um, Coupe, which I think is a couple of years ago, and, and, and I think you're doing some raise at the moment and where you are and uh, where you're going.
0: Yeah, absolutely right, Mike. So we started, uh, say, just a few months before COVID hit us and... I think we were so fortunate to actually start uh, before COVID came because otherwise we'd have never got off the ground. Uh, so timing was perfect. We launched uh, this year, Feb. Uh, so that's when we did our commercial launch. I think uh, we've been amazed by how much uh, businesses have liked us. So uh, in and what about six, seven months that we've been live, we've done 2 million in payments. And given that it's all very, very new for businesses and their customers, both Coupé, obviously, but even open banking. I, th- I think that's a that's a great number for us. Uh, so really excited about uh, the traction so far. We are uh, now ramping up to the next level. So we are doing a seed raise, and then hopefully we can expand a lot faster and hopefully help a lot more businesses. We would also then look look out for getting and attracting the right talent so that we have the right team to Deliver the mission that we have uh, our eyes on. So yeah, really looking forward to the future. And there are about, as I said, one in four of us doing a side hustle. So that's about 15 million micro businesses here in UK and then Europe uh, and, and and other parts of the world where open banking has already got in. So it, it's exciting. It's huge in terms of the vision. Lots to do. Uh, way less time.
1: And how much are you raising?
0: So we're looking at a, a million and a half raise, and uh, we would look to close it in the next uh, few months.
1: So that's still sort of the friends and family plus plus, rather than the knocking on VC's doors. Although we, we've had the likes of Nick from Ford Investors uh, on the show recently. So there are actually, one or two more actually, there are, there are uh, early stage VCs.
0: There are some VCs who specialise in seed rounds uh, and they, they like to get in early so they can help you with Series A and later and they get the foot in the door earlier.
1: Right. Well, I'm, I'm sure if they come knocking on your door tomorrow as a result, you you won't turn them away and you might even give them a cup of coffee. Now, I mean, one aspect of the business which I find interesting, which we haven't touched on and we didn't mention um, earlier, is we spoke about the market and the challenges of the micro SMEs and the kind of ways in which they need to be served and, and how they need to have products more specifically designed for them rather than for companies of uh, you know 250 people uh, which are then sort of passed down to them but uh, one thing we didn't touch on which maybe we'd like to sort of wrap up with is that that leaves a challenge for businesses such as coupe in terms of how on earth do you get many many customers i mean it's not quite b2c where you're I don't know you're a monzo or a Revolut, and you know you're just you're just trying to get to individuals and you, you do that um, in the ways that they have successfully done it in terms of Uh, gaining numbers. Um, I'm from back in the day, I'm a B2B guy. So, you know, whatever business I did, if I can get sort of Wow, it'd be amazing if I got like half a dozen tier one banks. Everybody would love me and so say, he's a hero. You know, that's, that's more than enough to keep us in yachts and near jets for the foreseeable future. But I suspect is that you probably need more than half a dozen customers. And you can't really go around and find my local wine merchant or the local sort of Italian delicatessen uh, all that easy. So what is your approach? As you say, you're a brand guy, marketing experience back in the day. What is your approach to actually reaching out and getting, for the sake of argument, 100,000 customers and then a million customers. And you're just in the UK right now, is that true?
0: That's right. So right now, Focus is uh, UK. You want to do a good job here and, and only then expand out of UK. What you've touched about is, is really fascinating. And I think uh, some of this is, comes from this uh, old construct of looking at small businesses as one group. I think it just comes down to the complexity of decision making when you look at acquiring customers. Now, you you mentioned about banks and obviously acquiring even a single bank would probably be a year or year and a half long sales cycle because there's just so many decision makers and gatekeepers involved that you've got to deal with. Uh, If you come down to the medium and small businesses, so that's generally what we call SMEs. You still have one or two decision makers and one or two gatekeepers, which could be their accountant, which could be their in-house bookkeeper and so on. I think the fascinating thing about micro businesses is that they're just one single decision maker. There are no gatekeepers, so the decision making is very, very simple. And therefore, in that respect, it can be as fast as acquiring a consumer because it's just the one same person. Now, there's some fa- great examples of startups who've successfully done that. So, if you look at the success of Uh, Depop, Etsy, People Per Hour, Fiverr, now they've all recruited micro-businesses on their platforms. Yes, it's a a marketplace, but they have recruited micro-businesses and large numbers successfully very fast. And I don't see any reason why what we are trying to do is talking to any significantly different segment of that micro-business. There's a big overlap where these people are offering their passion uh, in terms of products and services on multiple platforms. Now, one would be a Depop. The other would be, uh, as I said, quasi-e-commerce or or in the physical construct of their neighbourhood. And that's uh, why we are so excited about this place.
1: Excellent. Well, as I say, it's nice to speak to young companies uh, now and then on the podcast. Um, And it's also uh, very interesting um, hearing you speak from your fresh perspective, uh, having worked in other sectors, it's a kind of a top-down, bottom-up thing. In the end, one needs to meet in the middle. But um, I've got at the moment, oh God, almost, I've got 770 emails to go through to pick the next half a dozen guests, which is I, I keep putting off till to, till tomorrow, and tomorrow it never comes. The number gets even even bigger. But uh, you know, many of those will be from P, uh, from founders or, or, or from uh, PR companies whose Businesses in payments, and they've you know this guy's got 30 years in payments, and that's wonderful from a bottom-up perspective, and it you know, really understands the micro-details of all that. But in terms of... And that was really helpful, creating a product, and, and maybe you could use people like that. But from a top-down perspective, going back to micro-businesses, a lot of the 20-somethings I've spoken to don't quite get the difference between a product and a business. At the end of the day, the business is the thing that creates value, that you sell it to somebody else or you raise money for the business, and there's a difference between the, the business and the product but that's something that you clearly don't need to be taught as you had plenty of experience as a founder before um, but also in different sectors and I like the fact that it's a rare example actually when I ask people on the podcast uh, you pick examples from totally different sectors which you look to for sort of trigonometry and reference and and, you know how to find stars in the sky and all that kind of stuff and as you say there are a lot who have succeeded there so um, I wish you every success on your journey, Ravi. I hope uh, in, say, five years' time that you've become a a mega company and mega mega coupe uh, and you will come on back on the show and and tell us how you did uh, hundreds of companies around the world and uh, including uh, India. You said how you can help your father. Well, I think the first thing is he's going to move over here if he hasn't. (laughs) But maybe that's a market for the future for you as well because as far as I'm aware uh, there's no shortage of micro-businesses in India as a whole probably more than there are in the UK so I wish you every success with that and every success with a raise and thank you for joining us today
0: Mike thank you so much for having us really enjoyed chatting with you
1: thanks for listening if you're in need of a non-executive or advisory director with deep expertise experience and contact the worlds of both traditional FS and FinTech or unique insight into how to make your board an engine of growth today contact me at mike at if you just need one-off advice in these areas via clarity.fm slash mikeballiman
2: we could sit in a bender all day watching the firelight dance watching the firelight dance we could walk Tens before dawn, watching a happy moon ride, watching a happy moon ride. Mm-hmm. To come away from the city, but with the time i so dead so sad Come away from the city But with the face is so great City goodbye watch the firelight dance with me 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 watch the light dance